welcome to Mediums in Action with me, Martin Jeffrey, and another medium, Ian Doherty. We decided this year to start our own podcast, not like one that you normally listen to, but a nice conversation between two friends who are very knowledgeable about mediumship, the consciousness, and psychic ability. We want to break down these borders that we put up to stop ourselves from learning psychic ability or mediumship. And we thought the best way to do this is have a general discussion in each podcast about various subjects, some that will be put forward by ourselves, and we're hoping that you, the listener, will also contact us and talk to us about what subjects you'd like to hear as well. To start off with, our first podcast is, I'd say it's podcast 0.0, and what that means is it's our own story, our own beliefs. I thought we'd start from the beginning, so I asked Ian to tell us his story about how his mediumship blossomed. Yeah, um, I was uh, as a medium or being uh, being aware of what I was able to uh, do was as very much as a as a child, and uh, I can I can recall you know at uh, school I was a bit of a sort of a loner to be honest you know I kept myself to myself as well. Alone is probably a strong word. I was I was uh, I was we just call it introverted. I had a very very marked speech a speech in in impediment as you can tell and some of the words if i think about them so that's why i kept myself to myself but i feel in hindsight that actually helped me uh, to uh, reinforce that empathy compassion and passion which enables you to be you know to work mediumship it, it's a it's a very uh, very in, integral part but i used to see people walking around the house you know who nobody else could see um, I did a bit of past life re uh, regression, or you know, uh, well, not a past life. I did a bit of um, regression to a very young, to a younger age when I was maybe seven or eight. Uh, I could see my mum sat on a chair. She was crying. My nana was trying to calm us down. Um, we were all there, all the kids. My uh, my my youngest two sisters went. Um, so that would put me around about four, maybe five years of age. Um, and I could see this woman who appeared to me to be hiding behind the curtains, but half in the wall and half out. And I thought, why can't anybody else see her? What's that lady doing? And yet nobody could, nobody even noticed her, you know. So there's little things there. And... Uh, I would, uh, you know, I would regularly see a little old lady on my uh, on my uh, bed, and it just escalated from there, you know. And uh, I was scared of the dark until I would say I was about maybe thirteen or fourteen, and my mum used to take me to bed before seven, before it started getting dark. Otherwise, I just wouldn't sleep. And then, yeah, and then I I uh, I I ended up going into the forces when I was eighteen, come out of my shell immense way, met some beautiful people, uh, and being into the situation now where um, it's given me confidence, you know, I can stand in front of people, I can talk. Uh, I was I was a senior non-commissioned uh, officer, you know, and I could be um, telling people to do this, to do that, ordering about. So that really helped me, and that's when my mediumship really, really did um, kick off, you know, and certainly uh, through um, a development circle at, you know, Spillage's Church, but then... Having a having a phone call, a phone a conversation with you, you know, are you interested in the paranormal? And I've I've never really heard about it, you know. During yeah. a ghost investigation, I thought, what the hell's this, you know? And so I thought, well, I'll take a risk. I always have done, and that and that in part led me to or give me the sort of purpose. Yes, this is the way I'm on. Um, I um I I I ended up leaving the RAF. Uh, and doing the paranormal work, doing the mediumship on a uh, full-time basis, and this is where we are now. 
Wow. It's it how did your your family or how did your your mum um kind of how did she see your paranormal experiences or or did you never discuss them? Um I was uh to be honest it's a very interesting topic, you know, one where I think added to my fear and I can think in the uh, in the past now we were brought up as Catholics until I was about 14 or 15 so you know this was a, a taboo topic and uh, and me mum would sit us all around she tells about Jesus being nailed on the cross I used to break into uh, break into tears thinking they've nailed that man up for nothing you know, <laughs> you know, you know do you know what I mean really yeah, yeah. but yeah. then I think yeah. back to uh, Sunday school and and, and I think yeah. some of the stories and and um, my family were sort of Methodists so it, it, it's funny, really, because, you know, it was all sort of um, blood and thunder and, you know, kind of yeah. hearing these yeah. horrible stories. He died for us and, or, uh, and you know, St. Peter of Somsa was stoned to death, but he was happy because he died for us. Yeah, you know, I just, I can't fathom it, you know, but, you know, it just shows, I think, uh, in everybody's background how faith or the way they're brought up with parents and social interactions with school and you know and their peers can can really have a bearing on our life. Well, I, I think for me, I mean, I, I mean, as I said, I, I kind of there was a Christian hint there, there was a sort of Methodist hint there, and um, we were only Methodists purely because that was the local church. Yes. Um, but by the time I got to sort of twelve and fourteen, I, I was already questioning Christianity or questioning belief, and and what kind of rocked my sort of um belief really was um it, I, I always remember i was sat in a in a church one sunday and next to me was my friend's mum and she was talking in tongues which is just utterly it sounds like utter gibberish and i and i said to um i said to my uh, friend i said oh what's your mum doing and he said oh she's talking to, in tongues god is is kind of speaking through her and that's something and i thought that's amazing and about three or four days later i was at my friend's house and and I could hear this noise, and I thought, I wondered what it was. And I went into the kitchen, and I heard the exact same noise, and it was my friend's mum washing the pots, and it was obvious that she was practising speaking in tongues. Ah, I see. And I stood there, and I thought, ah, right, okay. And and it had a real imprint. Um, it kind of made me question things. and 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 so it's interesting that, you know, we're both kind of from a semi-religious background and um and you know i suppose spiritualism to you i mean i mean being a spiritualist is religious i mean do you see it as a religion for you i um used to to be honest when i yeah uh, when i first started you know the the first principle you know the uh it's the fatherhood of god and i thought yeah almost you know no but i but i thought it was a god element and of course in a spiritualist church it's a service there's prayers and there's songs um so i can understand it in that view but um meeting meeting you and certainly uh the 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 influence that my guide william has um i've gone away from thinking of it as a your faith based uh you know more into try and understand both sides of the coin the scientific side as well as the faith based and what the mediumship is you know so my outlook has changed i don't see myself as being um you call it uh having a faith i see it more of having a you know certainly a way of life but of a more change into a you call it philosophy rather than a sort of a faith you know uh, and that's and that's what's changed for me it's like when we was talking about the starting of Ascentia Two, where we, you know, we, we talk about the psychical sciences. So, 
we're, we're talking about the peripheries of, of, of science or the science of um, of sci the psychical subject um, so so to me again it's it's philosophy driven um, but it's also about exploration and it's also you know a nod to the science yeah. uh, involved in this we're not scientists by any means but um, you're doing a course now and and, and do you want to talk about the course yeah um uh I, it was funny how we came around it was a it was very much spirit driven because I just thought I wanted to do something you know I was uh, I'm in a situation where I as a medium I'm very very visual you know I'm very I'm very clairvoyant orientated you know and I could see colors around people which I understood was the aura um but then I started thinking like when there's something wrong with that color and I started saying to people I said oh you've got a you've got a trapped nerve in your shoulder I said how did you know that I said well it's what I feel and then I got talking you know I thought to myself this is really there then William stepped up that's uh, that's my guide who came who came in really I would say probably about 2001 you know 2002 um talking to me there and um and it was very much uh his sort of drive I do feel because I had a, I had a, a woman who came round to uh, uh to have a uh, to have a private readings and then she was part of my one of my home circles and she mentioned to me why don't you do an open university course and I thought well I don't feel I've got the uh, you know I've got a I've got an REF pension I don't feel I'll qualify for this you know I try to talk myself out of it to be honest I was a bit scared of science you know and uh, and then the way it came a, a, a about she said well I'll, I will send you some information and then about 30 seconds after she'd after she'd gone from the house she'd come knocking the door and I thought what's up what's up come on come in calm down I thought she'd been you know either somebody tried to tried it on with it or whatever wow. and then she's yeah. and she said no no I've just had and I was just checking my emails you know on my phone as I was walking to the car and I had an email to my dad's account now bear in mind she came to see me because she wanted to talk to her dad who'd been passed uh, almost a year yeah and there was an email to her dad's account on how to uh, saying basically how to apply for an open university course loan and I thought <laughs> I thought you're kidding wow. me you know what I mean she goes no I can't understand it so I followed it through and I'm doing a I'm doing a health sciences um, on to do with the mind the way the body works um, how the you know the um, cell structure it goes really deep into it and William is chomping at the bit you know I want to get this finished let's get on with this let's get on with that and it's I, and I feel uh, the what the work that we're entering into now is also spirit driven. But with the, with the with the hindsight, it's been going this way since. And I feel, excuse me, and I feel even now that it is it is spirit driven. My, uh, you know, William's talking to me now. He said this was always going to be the way, and how it was that I that that me and you met, um, that phone call, and where we are now is all leading to that. So the past 15 years or so certainly since our phone call in 2003 um we've been steered i do feel or led uh to this to this point where we are now i i always remember you saying um it was only when you looked back in your ghost hunting reports because you used to write a report of what you were saying yeah. that um you you suddenly realized that william had actually been appearing or, or making himself known at, at, at many other venues um 
It's interesting because uh, uh, I uh, noted him at several locations. The ones I can recall off my off uh, off my mind are um, are um, Dudley Castle and the Woodchester Mansion. Uh, and I and I uh, record him in detail because uh, at that time I was doing that, you know. And I'd say, yes, he looked like this. His height, everything, you know, his beard, the uh, the uh, the uh, lot, and then. Um, I I I did I did a database for about five years, and I co I coalesced all the information of what I've seen. I cross reference it. You know, having been a um, analyst, um, I was analysing what I've got, and then I realised, hang a minute, and William appears seven times uh, that I've seen him seven times walking about and interacting with me and the group. You know, by way of saying this and and. When when I started, I, I, I started trance back, I think it's about 2004, I think. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to look at my diary or two, but I've just been told he's two. I remember you, yeah, you, it was around 2004. Yeah, I remember you telling yeah, me. Yeah, the group leader, or the tutor, rather, of that trance group, she was mentioning, you know, and recording everything that we said, you know, on one of those tapes. And William came through and spoke to me and said, I was looking for a medium to do some work with. I wanted somebody who had a greater intelligence than the medium I'm talking through now, but he liked the way I documented my ghost thing, so he said, yes, that man will do. I thought, well, thank you. And and how productive it's been over this last, you know, ten plus years. You know, 10, yeah, definitely, years. definitely. You know, looking at um, the way that you've sort of you've taught me a lot of things. You know, and I think it's fair that when I first started, you know, the paranormal, I was I I, I was very very naive. I haven't got a clue what it was, and I just thought it's it was it was nice and pay not pay you a compliment for the sake of a compliment, but you've got me to look at things. You know what I mean? You got me to question things. And I just want to say thank you because it really is nice that now I don't take things first at first value. I'll go and do the I'll go and do the research and see what it means to me. Because if I don't understand something, I've got to research it so I get that more sort of in depth. But that's my personality, really. But yeah, you said you've uh, taught me a lot, Martin. Oh, well, thank you, Ian. Thank you, and, and and same with you as well. It's been it's been interesting. I, again, I think it comes back to seeing the woman practicing speaking in tongues, where. I, that was a turning point where yeah. I mean sort of my background was when I was a child I had a lot of weird experiences we we lived in I, I would say we lived in haunted houses but the likelihood is is that I was very mediumistic and I was seeing things or experiencing things the houses were probably just normal houses but to me they were haunted because I saw a grey lady I, I've told the story a few times where I saw the grey lady in the pram but the real turning point was we the second house we lived in we moved in there and it was a very very strange house it was a mid-terrace it was social housing it was there was nothing out of order from it it was no different from three or four houses that were in that area so it you know it was nothing special but when we moved in I always remember the first thing that ever happened was I was laid in bed and I felt an itch in my back. And as I reached round, there was a finger, a hand and a finger was poking me in the back. And it wasn't an itch, it was that. I grabbed it and it pushed through my hand and pushed through and I, I screamed and woke up. Wow. And then for the following, we, we lived there until I was 15. And all the way through that time, we had various experiences. We could hear footsteps. Every Friday at seven o'clock, we always heard a baby cry. And yet, there was no babies in our house. There was no babies next door. 
but it was always at seven o'clock you heard this baby crying it was a recording and and all this sort of stuff really intrigued me and I ended up running small little ghost hunting clubs at um, at junior school and, and uh, senior school. And my, my friend, me, Simon and Trevor, we used to go ghost hunting. <laughs> I had no idea what we were doing. So I joined the ghost club and uh, ASAP and I started going to places because I wanted to know exactly, you know, I wanted to do it properly because yeah. uh, going ghost hunting around your school uh, in the middle of the night with a cross really isn't <laughs> productive no, for no, anyone. No, so. it is, it is. From there, it kind of led into various uh, other things, investigations, meeting amazing people like Andrew Green, uh, Peter Underwood. But underlying all this was the feeling that I could see things that other people couldn't. And from a young age, my uh, my mother used to go to spiritualist churches. So I we would go to one in central Sheffield on Trippet Lane, which is a very well-known one. We used to go there and I used to sit at the side of the stage from a young age and I used to watch that. So... I've always been kind of balancing this, you know, the investigative side and, and, and the researching side with also the mediumship side. And and the mediumship side has literally, you know, kind of, it's taken a fall for over this last 10 years and, and it's been mm-hmm. stronger. And and I think it, what it is, is I've allowed myself that breathing time not to be so sceptical and just a just to see where it goes if I let it go. It's almost like letting a wild horse go and see what happens. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and and actually, instead, what it's provided me is more evidence that actually that I am in touch with spirit, that uh, I'm able to give people readings, I'm able to do divination, I'm able to do these amazing things. And with yourself and, you know, research, I, I'm intrigued to see where it comes from. Where does it exactly come from? Is there a spirit world? Is there, you know, am I when I die, am I going to go to a bar with Elvis and and Marilyn Monroe and all this? I mean, I mean, what's your feeling on spirit world? Well, I do believe that there's a life after this life. You know, whether people call it heaven, Valhalla, uh, whatever. You know, because you know, I don't think whilst we're in the physical body, we can prove that there is an afterlife because people will have it consider somebody or the the uh, sky is not blue it's actually black it's only blue because of the sun's ultraviolet and the ozone making it that way but if somebody is pertinent no no it's definitely blue uh, you can't change their mind so you to them you can't give proof so i feel with the evidence that i've had throughout my uh, life and the many messages that I've given to people and have had given to me. Lord leads me beyond doubt, without any doubt whatsoever, that there is something that does exist after the physical life. I've taught my guys, I said, Oh, have you have you ever seen God? And they um and they always say, Well, no, but there is something here. There's a there's a there's an energy, there's something here, but we have not yet seen God. So I do feel um, whether it's you know uh, this I don't think there's an adequate word from it because I feel that God is a man-made you know we've done this through and when I say we uh, humankind not just men you know I don't mean be sexist in that last thing when we when we you talk about uh, I think we need to put labels onto everything you know what I mean so there must be a, a God because we don't know what else to call it you know and goes back from the dawn of time where you used to place I used to sacrifice to uh, the tidal waves, the volcanoes, so they wouldn't happen again. So I feel that's where gods have come from, because it's something that we can't see, and it's more powerful than us. So, you know, I think we just give it a uh, give it a uh, name, in all honesty. I, I think it's one of those things where, um, as you say, it probably started at the, 
very basics of uh, uh, very beginnings of humanity were to try and understand what was happening around them like volcanoes or yeah. or death yeah. or simple things like death or fire or whatever then people attributed gods and that sort of thing and 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 for me i think you're right in in the basis is that we we do not have the imagination to imagine what is after death that we have to visualize it in physical terms so hence why people imagine that saint peter stood on some gates waiting for you to yeah. go in where if you look at various religions from hinduism to buddhism to christianity and and it all seems to suggest that there is I, I think how I'd like to say is, is is there is a collective consciousness that consciousness comes together and yeah and, and and again my imagination will not stretch to how that works how it appears to us because I'm I'm thinking in 3D physical terms but I, I think definitely there is there's that evidence that somehow the consciousness continues and you if you look at the research of Dr Robert Lanza and some of the work that's attributed to him and also linked to him you've also got these the mapping of the universe that's happening at the moment and yeah. the scientists as soon as they saw the mapping of the universe and how it's branched out it literally looks like cortex in a brain it, it's got a little electronic charges and sparks and you know you've got, sun, yeah. you've got the suns and you've got yeah. I, I think it's only a matter of time before we realize that the universe is actually some form of consciousness you know it's yeah. it's it's maybe that's where we go back to and, and robert lanza is doing the research on the spark within the brain that disappears when when we pass away and how that could be linked to consciousness i mean it's fascinating times i think Oh yeah, without a uh, without a uh, shadow of a doubt, you know, I uh, like the way you put that over the consciousness within the universe because there must be. I mean, William once said to me, I think it was on the on the long, because there was a young man asking me, you know, how how is it that we can you know do this and what happens when went into all these deep questions about physical mediumship and this that and the other. And William said, well, the laws of science that pre that pervade the physical world do not exist that cross the barrier. And he did mention across the barrier. He didn't say a veil or anything there, but it doesn't work in their world. It works here because it's a physical thing. And um, the one thing that, that Spirit do, do say or have said through readings, through philosophy, is that the spirit world, if you can call it a spirit world, is the very much about thought as when you're working with your guides, it's mind to mind. So everything is thought, I'll think and I'll be there. I'll see and I can see. So there's no there's no confines that are in the physical body. You know, if you want to go somewhere, you think about it and you're there. So I think it's a world of thought and that gives credence i do feel to the to the uh, conscious universe because it's all about thoughts it, it's interesting because you, you've got science as as religion at the moment uh, where anything that a scientist says is somehow deemed as, as as being almost like religious dogma and that is utterly untrue because i mean you have a look around and, and what, you've got a scenario where you've got sci scientists who seem to be following the old method so they will not step out of a particular border, okay? So they, they just stick to what we imagine science does, okay? Yeah. And then you've got people like Dr. Robert Lanza. You've got various places like, I always remember the Nodic Sciences, which is still uh, an institute in America. Again, they're researching how 
we can work with binaural beats and how we can expand the mind, how we can push consciousness. And it seems that a lot of that sort of knowledge is is shoved down because it's not mainstream. It's not, you know, most people imagine science tells you whether drinking coffee is good or bad for you. When actually, you know, science, I saw something the other day where people say science is real. And that's utterly wrong because science is, you know, theory after theory to try and prove it something. It's yeah, it is a theory, and, and and I think that's where where mediumship is, and and uh, mediumship and psychic ability. I think that's where the whole subject is. Where at the moment you have this very sort of you either have the utter fringe, the people who are believing in the unicorns and conversing with entities that simply don't exist. And then you have like a scientific community who, like Richard Wiseman or uh, Chris French, who are trying to disprove that paranormal exists. Um, yeah. and, and, and unfortunately, I don't think there's a big, big, uh, too big of a conversation between them both. No, I think they're set. Um, I think they're setting their own parameters. It's got to fit into this. If it doesn't, it's wrong, or vice versa. It's just the same that never the twain shall meet. Do you know what I mean? It's always going to be difference of a, of a opinion. It's at times it's like uh, we just call it lily put, open the egg at the wrong end. You know what I mean? They just won't compromise, and I think that's where faith can be very, very rigid, and science can be very, very rigid. Uh, and I just feel here it'd be nice if through that collective consciousness, which I do feel uh, in the uh, in the future wise, people will be able to link into naturally and have thoughts or get thoughts from someone else, and then you can sort of link it up, and this is what the whole world is thinking of and perhaps we can it's it's a little bit like highlander you know where they were having that consciousness i can see what all people i can i know what all people are thinking and i put i I put bloke a in contact with bloke b in contact with woman c and it's all sort of linking on the same way you know so i feel that will that we will be able to link into that consciousness and and hopefully push science and get the answers you, you only have to look at things like Buddhism or uh, some of the ancient Eastern techniques. Uh, you only have to look at things like various ceremonial magic treaties, and and and, and for years they've been they've been saying that they've been in touch with higher entities, um, yeah. higher consciousness, higher knowledge. That I, again, my sort of background with magic, essentially a magician is, is somebody who wants to better themselves through knowledge, through experimentation, through trying to contact your higher self mm-hmm. and it's no different than what mediums are doing or or certainly what myself and ian are doing ian with his course and and we we've started essentia too and what we're trying to do is really remove the fluff from mediumship and the subjects so i suppose we're trying to be in the middle the middle of science and the middle of the fluff brigade as i call them yeah, no, i think that's a very good thing there and i love that word fluff it's brilliant yeah, well, as you know, I mean, myself and Ian's had a huge amount of discussions about various courses that we've seen over the last five years that have appeared. And the turning point was this unicorn course, which I'll tell you about. And we saw a very well-known uh, place of study for mediums. And and the whole course was about meeting the royal family of unicorns, going into trance and bringing through a unicorn, and then finally having a message from the king of all unicorns from the royal family. And I couldn't believe it. And now, unicorns, this is where you have to apply 
scientific thought and, and research. Well, your unicorns are probably a misidentification of a rhino by early explorers. I mean, you go on Wikipedia, go on any any place at all, and you will find evidence that what unicorns are. And yet here is a guy teaching people, and people are paying tickets to go into trance with a unicorn. I mean, what what do you think happens during that time? What do you think that person believes they're bringing through? To be honest, there must be in part a willingness to uh, believe, because as many people do, they believe in uh, leprechauns, pixies, fairies, you know, otherworldly things, you know, which you know we can which we can be talk about on a, on another blog perhaps, you know. But I think if the person believes that that is what's taking place, then I feel that their mind believes they're talking to a, a sort of unicorn when it could be uh, a guiding influence or a family member from from spirit giving them some personal details to say, oh yes, the unicorn knows about me. So they believe it to be a, a unicorn when it when it isn't, but it seems to sort of fit. However, I do feel uh, there's a certain amount of delusion here, you know, and I feel this personally, I feel this needs to be sort of looked into with really putting it in what it is, you know, when uh, a lot of people may sort of uh, disagree with my uh, statement, but is it the blind leading the blind? You know, are we in the realms of logic mediumship here? You know what I mean? We uh, know, you know, through documented history, as you say, um, unicorns don't exist. So, or never have. Yeah, well, well, I mean, you know, the thing is, is it is it a side view of a uh, of a uh, blunter book, or or is it, as you say, a, a, a rhino just getting it from the front angle? It's got one horn, unicorn, suddenly becomes unicorn, and I just feel here, uh, it, it's very much about people needing to believe there's something there, and I feel people latch onto it. Maybe it's what they want to hear. They they uh, like unicorns, and it just leads from there to one, two, or two. But really, I feel they may be getting information from the different source and they believe it to be they believe that source to be a unicorn okay I'm, I'm going to act as devil's advocate how can you say then that mediumship isn't a delusion and that there it's it's not just people deluding themselves i, I mean i've got an answer for that but i'm going to let you yeah. answer well, no, i mean it's questions like this that we want to answer you know we want to have a talk about you know and uh, the way that i sort of look at it day now this is my medium's point of view you know i'm I would count myself very, very fortunate. I do see dead people, you know, where, if I can use that word, dead. I do see people in a very clear way, you know, that nobody else can, or people, if there's another medium, they might sense the uh, might sense the uh, same. And it's giving that evidence, this is what the person is, where the evidence would not be known to that medium. So, for instance, that person isn't just a, a made-up faction, uh, and it comes up to just being lucky-guessing in a psychic way as to what you're picking up off the person you're trying to give the evidence to so if it's not in the mind of the uh, mind of the medium where does it where does it then come from and i feel here that there is a certain amount of would you call it delusion when mediums are first setting setting foot on their development you know oh i've got a child here when you're thinking no actually there isn't anybody there but they are they are they are believing there and i feel 
partly it's an old makeup. You know, I uh, once had a had a, a person who I was um, helping them to develop their medium person their mediumship, and they always wanted to work with children. When they were trying to think, okay, let's me let me link up. I'll do this. It was always a child. So I feel it's it's in partly in their sort of makeup, and it comes with feelings. You know where, and I do feel that the medium really does need to to hone their feelings it's you know when they give that information out it's a feeling that comes with it you know not when the person says yes or no because you can still get that feeling and you can say well actually i know this information is right the person having the reading then goes away checks and it turns out to be right you know it's it's all about that and i do feel that's why uh, mediums there's such an onus there where uh, development should be practice and practice and practice and practice, no sort of doubt. And I do feel through all the documented evidence that there is cases there where they're very, 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 very notable that there is an energy, a memory, a consciousness outside our physical world that is able to, to talk, give evidence of them to a physical world so that's that's the way i would sort of put over it i, th I think for me I, again coming from this questioning side where I, i've kind of done both sides of the coin but for me the reason why this isn't a delusion is because of evidence and I, in science you collect evidence and from my own personal view where i've given readings whether it was yesterday and and yesterday i was doing a tarot reading and that's predictive. I'm I'm predicting the future. I'm predicting what might happen. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly I was aware of a lady came through, and I said to the lady who I was giving a reading to, she'd not mentioned any of her family, not talked about any of the family. All we was talking about was her business prospects. And, yeah. And I said, oh right. I said I've got a lady here. Uh, I said she's quite tough. She's she's got grey hair. She uh, it's quite long, straggly. I said, and she's saying the name's Liz. Uh, but you can call her grandma. And she went, oh, my God. She said, my grandma. She said, she, she, it was Liz. Yeah, she said, that, that's my grandma, Liz. How do, you, how do you know she's there? Well, she's here in front of me now as I'm talking to you. And how could I have known that her grandma yeah. was called Liz, that she got this grey straggly hair? She'd actually, when she appeared to me, she was wearing this pink dressing gown with what looked like little tassels on there. She said, oh, it was a bloody awful thing. She never took it off. And she said to me, my uh, my memory that I always remember about her was one night it was pouring down with rain. She was upset. She knocked on her grandma's door and said, oh, can I come in? And she said, no, you can't. She said, because I'm watching Coronation Street. I've got a box of black magic chocolates open and I'm sitting down in my dressing gown. She said, it's my night. She said, you can go home. And so she said, I knocked on the door again. She said, go on, come in. She said, but you can only eat the Turkish delights because I can't stand them. <laughs> and the thing is, when you get evidence like this, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and Ian, you've had countless evidence. I've, I've seen the amount, huge amount of evidence over the years. You have to question, where has this come from? Okay, so let's say, oh, it's psychic. Oh, right, so, so we're reading people's minds then, are we? Do you know, we're giving information like, Liz, that she wore a pink dressing gown with tassels on there, with or with Ian. Uh, Ian did an investigation with us at Sedgemore, which we've talked about. Ian was in stood in a field, a wet, damp field, in the middle of the night, and said, "I can see here a wagon. It looks like it's exploded. I can see it's it's gone in all sorts of directions and that sort of thing." And there was an archaeologist on site with us, and he said, "We've just done ground radar." in this field within this last two weeks hadn't he and he was waiting for the full yeah. results 
but they had found what looked like, and it was at least three, six, three to six feet below ground, uh, it was a wagon that looked like it had been exploded. There was a wheel in one area, there was planks in another, or, and, and it, it was scattered. How could Ian have known that information? Yeah, uh, another thing as well, Martin, when you talked about the divination, you're doing the tarot and you're doing uh, a future business, then when, you, when you're looking at how we're getting the, the thoughts uh, or we mind reading the person we're sitting for, when you give precise evidence, oh, by the way, you're, you're going to be um, doing this, this, this and this. I recall, I think it was last week I was giving a person a reading and she was asking about her ex-husband, she was concerned about him and I said, nothing to worry about, he's going to meet a woman called Carol and they're going to be fine. She rang me up about three weeks later. Oh my God, I've been talking to him. He said he's just got involved with a woman and her name's Carol. Now, if it's not in her mind, where did the information come from? Seeing and seeing you work, you know, when we when we've been on the on the paranormal um, side of things, you know, and you and you turn around, you give a message to a woman, or I can recall walking into uh, into Burton Constable with you, and you walked in this room, and you mentioned, oh, there's a bloke here, it looks like blah 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 blah. There's loads of boxes, and it's this this and this, and the a person walking around with us said, oh my God, how would you know that? Because that's how the person was. He got all his stuff here, and she went into it all and you were and I thought wow you know but hey, again you know you're picking up a memory from a your place or whatever but how would you how would how would you know because when you see certain TV programs of the same ill it's always the king the queen or the owner of the house that comes through when you got all the staff you know all the guards if you're at the castle but you know to come in and see some very very pertinent points of view because the room we were room we were in was absolutely jaw-dropping you know there's everything's in place and it was beautiful so how would you see that you know so there's there's those side of things where does this information come from well, well the first thing a skeptic would have said about that room was you would have imagined because the room was if i remember i, I can't remember if it was a bedroom because or, or whether it, but it was there was gilt wasn't there there was there was kind of gold yeah. uh, flexing yeah. on, on the wall and there was a fireplace. It looked incredibly grand. But I remember all I remember seeing was was kind of uh, the old tea chests full of papers and, yeah. and and things stacked up everywhere. And and there was a guy in new army uniform. I I mean that's what I was being seen. Uh, what what, yeah. what I could see. And and you've inspired me, Ian. Where I've worked with you, where you you have to show exactly what you see. You can't fudge around it because or, or try and interpret it because that's where mediums go wrong, isn't it? Yes, it is. But it comes through um, practice, you know, what it's, again, feeling. People get a lot of symbology. They get a lot of little bits and pieces and they try to make sense of it when... Let's say, for instance, this one's made up. It's not a genuine one, uh, as in, you know, it's not happened to me. I don't think it's happened to you, Martin. You uh, you could be talking to a person and saying, oh, I'm getting, keep on, all I'm getting is a red shoe. And you could be trying to analyse, or oh, perhaps you need to get some red shoes, perhaps you need this, when the person might say, well, no, I've lost a red shoe. I've, I've only got one. I'm trying to find the other one. So I know it's simple, but at the end of the day, uh, it's give what you get and as it is, because... It's really bizarre when you're, for instance, when you're when you're on. When we were back at Edgemore, and I remember looking over this one area, and my jaw must have dropped or something because you were Martin was saying was saying to me, Ian, what's up, Ian, what's up, and I just saw there was a, a bloke all in red, which I do feel in hindsight was Charles II, and then there was uh, I think I can't remember the name of the bloke, but I've got it all documented who was in charge of all the sort of cavalry, and I could just see them going back 
for you know there must have been four five five hundred horsemen all mounted all dressed the same and honestly if i could have a photograph where i can just print it from my brain to the uh, printer uh, honestly it was jaw dropping but it was all verified that that's where they were that's the commander that's where and it was all there but it's that type of thing where i just wish i could you know where there was a situation where uh, if I was a, a really accomplished artist, you know, where you could draw it all and just paint the uh, scene, you know. So, yeah, you need to say things exactly as they are. Thank you, Ian. Some some great advice there and insight into how the mediumship mind works. So this ends our podcast for this week um, or this month. We've not quite decided what the format's going to be. But uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes or any other format please like please subscribe please tell your neighbor's cat about it and uh, join us again when we come back and we talk about our lives as mediums in action Mm -hmm.